Welcome back to the Great Outdoors and Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Eric. Today, we had the opportunity to sit down with Terry Stewart. He's the owner and operator of Seneca Sailing Adventures, located in Watkins Glen. And he owns a pretty unique boat called True Love. Um, the boat is just shy of 100 years old. It was uh, built in 1926, and it's a 67-foot uh, schooner sailboat. So in the episode, we get into, uh, you know, exactly what the boat is and, and whatnot. But um, Terry and I tried to get together multiple times over the past few months and uh, finally had the opportunity. Um, this this episode was actually recorded in the um, cabin of the boat, and uh, which was kind of a fun experience for me. And um, we hope you enjoy. Uh, I do recommend that at some point you check out his website, which will be in the show notes, sailtruelove.com. Um, cause as we discuss about the boat, uh, words do not do justice. So, uh, we hope you enjoy and thanks for listening. All right. Well, Terry, welcome to the show. Um, I know we've been trying to do this for a couple months now, but, uh, here in upstate New York, weather can be, uh, be a bit of a challenge for us especially when we're talking about sailing and um to give our listeners a little background i'm sitting down with uh terry with his amazing boat true love and uh learn a little bit more about his company and uh what he does and and the history behind the boat so uh welcome terry well thank you rick appreciate it i'm glad to be here yeah absolutely so um first thing walking up the dock here it, just an amazing appearance looking at this boat. It, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb because it is so unique. Um, what is the name of your, your boat, and what is uh, the name of your business? Well, the boat is uh, famously called True Love. It's been True Love for probably 50 years. Um, it acquired the True Love name, I think, after the High Society movie in 1956 with Grace Kelly and Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and Louis Armstrong. That movie, you know, lives on today, and many people that come on the boat um, are coming because of the connection. The business, uh, my wife and I, when I retired from the uh, state police, we uh, got into sailing and uh, discovered the uh, possibility of getting a captain's license and in following the the rules we had a 40-foot boat and we did uh six-pack rides they call them up to you know no more okay. than six people and we did that for about 10 years and uh, you know it's outside you meet people and sailing has a majestic concept to it that sometimes people don't even know that they're intrigued by it till they get on the boat and it starts sailing and they look at you and they'll say i had no idea Kind of like when an airplane takes off from the runway. Right, right. Yeah, and that's what intrigued me to it. I obviously growing up, I've we've had typical power boats, you know, the eighteen foot, you know, uh, tri hauls back in the day. But uh, until I got on on a sailboat and really seen what it was all about, that's what drew me to it. Mm. Um, you know, that is romantic. You know, it's kind of it takes skill. You can't just turn the key and go. <laughs> You have, yes. to, you have to learn a little bit before you do that. And yes, we called we call our business in, uh, when we first did it and uh, got a little DBA from the county. It's uh, Seneca Sailing Adventures. And uh, you're right, sailing has uh, a certain component to it that opens the door to so many other things. I mean, first of all, the systems on the boat 
um, you know, the, the fuel system, the engine, the water system, the plumbing, the, the, uh, the holding tank, the, you know, whatever's epoxy, whatever's paint, whatever's wood, um, you know, all that stuff is boat-oriented stuff, but, but once you start thinking about the history of, uh, you know, a boat like this and, and sailing, you know, in general, um, it opens the door to these scientific principles, you know, the right. Bernoulli's principle, um, buoyancy, um, center of effort, center of lateral resistance. Um, it's kind of uh, things, there's no end to the doors that you can open, um, you know, when you get involved with a sailboat, inclusive of, you know, the weather, things right. like that. Because just like a, sometimes a plane can't fly, you know, there's days when the prudent sailor, um, decides it's not time to go. <laughs> right, right. Right. I think there's a, uh, a verbiage that you know there's old captains and there's bold captains, but there's no old bold captains. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I that the truth. Yeah. So with this boat, it's uh, what year was it built? Because uh, we're sitting. Just to give our listeners a little bit of uh, background here, we're we're actually sitting in the cabin right now on this boat and. Um, you know, being 100 years old, you, you can tell it, it has some age to it when it comes to, um, you know, the wooden beams and, and how it's constructed. So, The history of the boat? Um... Um, well, you know, there's fiberglass boats, there's wooden boats, there's steel boats, there's... Um, um, I'm assuming this is all, by what I see, is all wooden wood, yes. wood boats. So, yeah, the, the original... I won't say contract, but their documentation from um, this boat, which was designed by John Alden. Uh, John Alden, born in 1880-something in Troy, New York, actually. And his father was an attorney, uh, 20 years older than his mother. They vacationed or had property in, I want to say it's Sackinette. Rhode Island, right down below where the Hirschhoff Museum is. Yeah. So on the very east eastern shore of Narragansett Bay. There's where he did his initial uh, fascination with boats. And by the time he was of college age, his father had passed away, and the the finances that they had put away for his education, he used um, in getting involved in uh, boat companies. So he, as an 18, 19-year-old kid, he stumbled into this Burgess boat designing company, and I guess they asked him to leave because he was getting in the way. <laughs> so he goes to this Crown and Shield uh, boat building company, and they he interns for a year for free, and then they, then they made him a draftsman. And sometime after that, uh, people told him that because of his successes in the contribution to these boats, he would do himself a favor if he'd start his own business. So he left... Crown and Shield, and started the John Alden Boat Company, and I think it was, I'm going to say 1902. Okay, wow. Um, and and I have uh, got a couple of books on John Alden uh, that reveal this stuff I'm remembering, as well as um, when he when he passed in 1962, the boat company event his boat company eventually. Um, Ended, and all his designs were picked up by Harvard or MIT. MIT University has all his drawings in digital form. So, and they'll they'll if you sign a release that you're not using them for commercial purposes, they send you the file. So we have all the drawings on the boat, and um, 
it's interesting because, you know, a boat that's 100 years has gone through lots of trials and tribulations. Uh, I think this boat actually sank at a mooring in 1964, Hurricane Donna. And, you know, it was, it was through love and care, you know, refurbished and um, amendments and repairs made that put it back into working order. So uh, 1924 is the date on the on the def, on the 11 page document that shows what kind of wood, the quality of the wood, all the different dimensions of nuts and bolts and and keel weight, keel shape. That uh, that's when the boat was started to be built. It was commissioned in 1926. Okay, okay. And first thing I noticed that you know you see a lot of sailboats and they have one mast, right? Um, this is a schooner, correct? Correct. So for our listeners, you know, there's um, sloops and schooners and, and catches and stuff. But what what is actually a schooner, if, if someone were to... The elementary definition of a schooner is that the um, the aft spar is is uh, taller than the forward spar. All the other... All the other sailboat designs, the forward mast is the tallest. Mm -hmm. Sloops, um, and then catches and yawls have a mizzen mast. Cat boats just have one mast. So whenever you see a multiple-masted boat, that all the masts are even, or the aft mast is taller, it's a schooner. Now, how the the name came to be, I, I guess I can't address that, but schooners were the speedboat you know, of the sailing era. Um, lots of lots of sail square footage, minimal amount of topsides for you know windage, right. and a and a schooner was the boat that might bring the fish to market from the you know from the fishing boat in 1860, or you know the, um, whale products from you know the whaling days of the 1600s in New Bedford, so you know from from legal commercial products to running, uh, you know, running uh, rum in, in prohibition eras, the schooner was the boat that was going to pick up the product from the boat that couldn't go as fast, get it to market first, and and get a and get a better price for right, it. Right, right. And what what's the length of this boat? It's it's big. It's big. Yeah, uh, this is by design. It's fifty three feet nine inches, I think, okay. on deck. When you add a bowsprit and the stern sprit, um, it's 67 overall. And there was there were 10 of these boats. These were the Malabar series, John Eldon uh, designed, and they all were designated a Roman numeral. So um, Malabar one through 10 is how they're designated. And and uh, there were sister ships created as well, you know, from the designs being famous and successful. Or once a nautical architect earns a reputation, people want, you know, they want a boat designed by that guy. You know, there's Bill Creelock and Bob Perry and Chuck Payne and Ted Brewer and John John Eldon fits into that okay. uh, twenty game winner kind of concept, right. you know. Right, right. And one thing I noticed as soon as I walked down here into the cabin is. Uh, no bulkheads right no it's all open which uh i had a boat um, i have a boat but i had a tartan and as soon as you walk down there it's bulkhead so it feels really cramped where here it's uh, i wish our listeners could see it but um on the website you'll be able to see some photos but it's, it's wide open yeah I, like i had mentioned to you earlier i had the occasion to take uh, two different trips on this where we spent multiple days uh, on the ocean 
and I kind of think of this boat as as a as a hunting cabin. You know, it's, okay. it's not it's not the boat built by a production boat company. You know, to satisfy the cheese and cracker crowd, right? It's it's a rough kind of existence. Um, not that you can't. You know, there's there's the head and there's the galley and there's sleeping arrangements. But it, it is kind of designed for getting the job done, not not for enjoying yourself. Well, I can see how you can enjoy yourself, but I, <laughs> I, I get I get what you're saying though. Yeah, there's uh, you have what you need, <laughs> you yeah. know, and um, and that's part of the draw to to these older boats. Um, on a side note, <clears throat> my brother was a sailor, as I mentioned, had a business down in uh, Sarasota, and in. Um, Marina Jacks. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, big marina, probably one of the higher end marinas in the country, if not Florida. Um, <clears throat> and he had an older boat, and everybody wanted to take a picture of the older boats because they drew your attention, right? Um, all the 10, 20, 30 million dollar boats are, are impressive, but personally, and no offense to people that own those, um, these have character. They have they feel like they have souls and there's stories behind them that that uh, some of the newer boats don't have. So, I think the designers from this era we're talking about, um, and I learned this at the Hirschhoff Museum in Bristol, Rhode Island, that those uh, those two brothers, Nathaniel Hirschhoff and maybe Frank or David Hirschhoff, as kids they roamed the beach, and if they saw one of the seafaring mammals up on shore, they they studied the underbelly and they you know they took made molds because they're boat people and this is before steam and before gasoline engines so the concept of making a better sailboat was probably premier still in those days yeah and if you can if you look at some of these older design boats we're talking about you're gonna see the underbelly of a whale or a porpoise. Yeah, know, I never thought of it that way. And, yeah. uh, those are, you know, God-given designs that make the thing go through the water better. Right. Right. So where did you acquire true love? Um, was <laughs> it, <laughs> might be a long story, but... Oh, uh, <laughs> no. Um, I just got on the horse and started riding. This uh, a couple uh, by the name of uh, Josh and Lisa Navone, they had a passion for doing this. Uh, in the break between uh, Doug Hazlitt uh, running the Malabar 10 on, on this public pier in Watkins Glen. In, uh, Doug did it for 10 years, and then he, he stopped. And for the year of 2008, there was no schooner boat in Watkins Glen. And Josh and Lisa Navone searched this boat out uh, looking for this particular kind of attraction, um, old boat, you know, uh, with some character and class and fame, and they found it in St. Thomas, and they, they purchased it in the summer of 2008, and uh, I was lucky enough to be asked and able to participate in sailing it back from St. Thomas. We left uh, November 8th, and I think we arrived in, in the Florida Keys uh, Thanksgiving Eve of 2008. Then it came up there in the spring. Um, they started doing this business in 2009. I started helping them as a crew, or, and I do scuba stuff so I could clean the bottom and whatever fell in the water, you know, I can retrieve it, things like that. So um, after I had done that, um, and my wife and I sailed our boat to Florida, so I didn't have that venue up here anymore, I started helping more. After COVID, um, 
they decided they'd had enough because uh, it keeps you busy all the time. Right. Um, and they were going to sell the boat, and it just seemed like I didn't want to see it go. Somebody else buys it. I'm working for them. Or somebody from out of town or another country buys it. It's gone. There's another venue coming in here. So I just thought it was the right thing to do to, to take a shot at keeping it going. Okay, So I really didn't do a lot. I mean, I, I mean I've been a team player. But the concept of doing this was not was not something I originated. I just took it over. Okay. And you mentioned they you you bought it um, during COVID or right yeah. before COVID. Um, December of the COVID, uh, you know, I think the vaccine was in the works. The boat never got back here from it had gone to the it had gone and actually won its class in the Chesapeake Bay Schooner Race in 2019. Then. The Devones just wanted to have it in Florida so they could go down there in the wintertime. And then in March, COVID happens, the boat's stuck in Florida, can't get out. Okay. Marinas were closed. You couldn't find you know, people to travel around and move it. So the boat never came back to the public pier in 2020. And I think they felt maybe their time was, you know, their energy okay. and time was used sure. up on it. So probably... Getting involved in it, not knowing how the future was going to pan out, um, maybe wasn't the most brilliant thing. But, um, but, 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 but by the time the vaccine had taken place in the in the summer, and the governor uh, Cuomo uh, was still in office, and he opened marinas and golf courses at a particular time in April. So when May actually happened in 2021, the boat carried on just like normal we okay. had it designed for zones we were only going to, be able to take 12 people right um and all that kind of melted away and we were and we were fine taking Perfect. our, our yeah, 22 because i know challenging for a lot of businesses especially in the entertainment that requires you know people to uh, get together <laughs> you know that was right so and it was it, it, oh go ahead. well i was just gonna say uh, the outdoor venue probably was a, a boon to us right because it wasn't a movie theater or an arcade yeah, no, that's or you true. Know, we, we were outside and that's people true. felt more comfortable being outside that's true yeah it's like you know in the peak of covid try going to buy a bicycle yeah, <laughs> you know right. you know everybody wanted to do something outdoors and and whatnot now getting the boat from florida did you sail it up here was it uh, did you have someone hire um, merchant marine to bring it up or no it there, there were other people hired um at that time there's a network of talented sailors yeah. in the hector watkins uh, geneva area and uh the D doug hazlitt who had the malabar 10 kind of is a pivotal point of you know of, of all these people that kind of do this old time sailing um and they hired some talented uh, people from Florida that br brought it back up. And it comes up into the New York Harbor, up the Hudson River. The mast has to come down in Waterford where the locks begin. Yep. And then uh, the boat travels down the canal uh, just like boat's been doing since yeah. 1825. Yeah. I I actually live in uh, near Palmyra, and there's locks that go right through there. And uh, very familiar yeah. with watching the boats come through there. And actually, my brother sailed from from New York, from Pulteneyville, to Florida. And oh yeah, obviously that's how he had to get the boat through. Uh, oh, that's it's that's fascinating. <clears throat> it's the trip of a lifetime if you kind of are a water person, and that's where I have that recollection of my wife and I doing it in 2014. And uh, you know, it's it's like I won't say it's like Christmas morning every day, but it's I think in sailing. 
uh, it's kind of like a kid on a bicycle or, or a guy going down the ski slope or, you know, or maybe the hole-in-one golfer or something. Because right. you're kind of in search of those, oh, wow moments. You know, oh, wow, the sun coming up or, you know, oh, oh wow, you know, the way the wind's blowing or the rainbow or, the you know, the, the rain coming down through the rainbow. So, you know, the, back to what the sailing experience can give you that's not directly involved in sailing. But when you're outside doing things, you know, you get to see what you're meant to see, you know. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I actually, uh, I've never taken a boat the whole length of the canal, but I, I've been fortunate enough to cycle a bicycle um, from Albany oh, yeah. um, back. So checking out all the locks and watching the boats oh. go through at certain times of years, and it's definitely uh, an experience. It's fascinating. For on the canal, you see you know, you see people on bicycles, you see an Amtrak train go by, you see a freight train, and then it, it portions of it, you're looking at the New York State Thruway. So, right. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 300 years of transportation and, and, you're, and, and yeah. you're part of it all in one. Yeah. 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 Um, what, what uh, decided to get the boat to Watkins Glen? Like, was Seneca Lake special to you for a reason or was it... Um... Well, I in my career uh, with the state police, um, I have have always been around here, and, okay. and and like yourself, I was raised in Monroe County around Genesee Valley Park. But the canal oh, yeah. was in my backyard yeah, as well, yeah. one street away. So we played hockey on the canal. We stupidly swam in the canal as kids. Um, so uh, the canal to me was just something that was always in my lifetime, and my mother who was born in 1911 in Rochester. She grew up around Genesee Valley Park, so she could tell me stories about the viaduct from the canal before it was redesigned in 1904, I think. Yeah. You know, when it went right through downtown Rochester. So, um, you know, the canal's been a, a, a fascinating thing. And, you know, we're being that we're, we're on Seneca, that's connected to the Seneca River, that's connected to Cayuga, yeah. Cayuga Lake, you know, it's the two lakes that are, I would, I always refer to it as the baby toe of the whole wa water world. You know, because you can get anywhere in the in the world from from this location. I never thought, never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. So true. I, so I'm just fortunate that uh, my parents uh, brought me to Cuca Lake as a kid and and spent you know 50 years kind of growing up over there, and then work brought me in the vicinity of Watkins um, as I was stationed in Horses um, in my last. 10, 15 years. So that's when I saw these sailboats and began to look at the underbellies and thought they looked like whales. You know, yeah, I thought, hey, yeah. these are cool boats. And you, you go to a boat show, you subscribe to Cruising World magazine, and before you know it, you know, you're, you can't help it. You, you can't get out. Yeah, absolutely. So with your, with your, um, your business, <clears throat> um, do you do like day sales? Do you do... Um, I see your shirt, Ales and Sales. Oh. Um, well, this is another shirt not connected to this. Okay. But um, that's a good question. And uh, the boat, although we'll say we do we do public rides, we do private rides, we do anniversaries, we do birthdays, you know, we do corporate leadership development. Oh, I mean, all those things basically are taking people sailing with maybe a, a different theme to it. You okay. Know? Um, people can, can go on the website um can book individually book as couples you know it, it, it will the website will guide you through um however many people 
that you want to have in your party on the boat. The boat takes up to up to 22 people. Okay, that was my next question, is how many can you uh, yeah. legally take? <laughs> yeah, the Coast Guard examines the deck space, available sitting space, and uh, and they tell you how many people you can have. So we, we can carry 22 passengers, and we have a captain and two crew. So there's 25 people on the okay. boat. Um, we will sail if we have eight. Um, and you know, if there's people here that sailed on the boat 40 years ago, you know, I mean, you're not going to tell them you're not going to go. Right. right. So, uh, you know, there's times we've gone out with, with four and five and six, just because it's a special, um, moment and you don't want to let it sure. pass by. But, uh, we also do, um, these corporate rides where, it's again it's the same gig it's a two-hour sailing thing but you bring your work employees on and if people are interested in you know certainly there's socializing just to be done but if somebody wants to handle the jib sheet somebody wants to take the helm somebody wants to raise some of the sails you know you can get the feel of what labor is involved and what concepts are necessary in tacking because right right we have to use the wind to the boats to the sails advantage to make the boat go forward so you can't go directly into the wind like if it's on a clock face you can you can't sail from 10 a.m to 2 p.m but all the other points of sail are in there close hauled close reach beam reach broad reach running free and all those same on the on the opposite side of the boat so um when you're tacking uh, there's a moment in time when when one jib sheet that's the working jib sheet becomes the lazy sheet, and the other one gets taunted to become the working sheet, and that and the boat the sail has to change sides. So there's a little timing. Yeah, especially it, if you have a lot of people on the boat too, you have to be aware of yes, uh, lines and yes, yes. Uh, We're always tending to the booms um, to be sure that they don't startle people on windy days. Um, but the, the, there's something to be, I guess, gained in the concept of the teamwork that the boat doesn't just, just turn like a car. It has a rhythm to its mm-hmm. motion and, and the crew ha- has to tend, you know, uh, adapt themselves to what the wind is allowing us to do. And the boat survives on momentum alone. It isn't, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, that's again, back to the joy of, um, you know, the outside environment making this boat go, uh, you don't just tur- push the throttle down. You use the momentum of the boat when you turn to get the sails back in their proper location and keep on going. Right, right. And that's what drew me to sailing is you have to be engaged 100% of the time. You know, there's there's a lot going on. And yeah. um, Now, with, with boats, there's a draft, right? Like... Um, and, and to our listeners, draft is how much water is needed underneath the boat so you don't hit, hit a ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what's kind of the draft on this on this boat? Um, this boat goes down seven feet, eight inches. Okay, that's actually fairly shallow considering the size of the boat. Think, you know, thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah. From an engineering well, standpoint. Well, um, so yeah, so again, these uh, nautical architects mm-hmm. uh, that that. F- figure the lines and dimensions and proper placement of the ballast so our our iron shoe uh, is part of the 15,000 pounds of keel that's in the boat okay that was my next question 15,000 pounds and there's some strategically placed 
lead ingots. There's like 22 lead right. ingots that weigh 60 pounds a piece, I think. So you know they're they're placed in, in certain locations by design by the by the architect that figures out hydrodynamically what this boat's supposed to do. Then that same smart guy figures out what's what's the sail plan of this does he want it to be a catch does he want it to be all okay it's a schooner so somewhere in all the sails whether you got one sail or seven sails somewhere in those sails is a cumulative center of effort and that cumulative center of effort is the you know is the power uh it's like your motor right the wind is your fuel the sails are your engine so the center of effort mathematically has to be placed within a certain space of the lateral the center of lateral resistance so think of the keel as your as your rubber tire that giving you traction if you didn't have a keel it was just a round bottom boat you'd blow sideways in the wind so we got like a canoe (laughs) like a canoe yeah so we put some traction on the boat by some mathematical design with the keel center of lateral resistance is is specifically in a place in the keel Center of effort cumulatively is a place in the power of the sail. So now we got these, we got this energy. I think that's like potential. The wind comes and it becomes a kinetic kind of thing. Now we fly the plane or angle the boat properly mm-hmm. so that so that you're making that you're basically your sails. You could think of them as. Um, airplane wings, only they're vertical airplane right. wings. So we're using that low pressure um, b- by design in the sails to suck the boat forward. So the boat pulls itself through this Bernoulli principle into the wind. So you can't sail, you know, maybe you, you can't sail 10 to 2, but th- that's where your fin keels and your bulb keels and your wing keels and your swing keels and your shoulder draft keels. I mean, some nautical architect wanted to make this boat with this keel in that sail plan. So John Eldon, this was, you know, because it's an ocean going thing. I mean, it's full keel to be more stable on the boat, but, um, about, I think basically a third of the, of the boats ballast is keel. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's one thing when I got into sailing, you think that the sail or the wind blows you through, you know, the momentum or movement, but it actually pulls you. Yeah. Which I think I think hard to wrap your head around if you. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It's the mathematics yeah. involved in sailing and and basically navigation. I mean, you could do a whole another segment w- with a smarter person than me on celestial navigation and the math involved in that. Right. Which is something. The sextants. That, yeah, this winter I've kind of got into Nathaniel Bowditch and uh, and uh, his mapping of the you know, the celestial ceiling, uh, and, and the math involved in pre GPS, right? right? Um, you shouldn't, if you're going to be on the ocean, you should have a concept of celestial navigation. Yeah. Yeah. At least the basics of it, you know, I mean, you you may never use it, but if the day that your, you know, your batteries fail or the GPS isn't working for some reason, um, there you go again, you're back in 1800. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we get lazy with the technology that we get (laughs) (laughs) until it doesn't work. And then you're like, oh, oh, well, (laughs) what do we do now? I know it's it's uh, this this whole concept of math uh, is fascinating. Uh, You know, our purpose today is kind of the introduction of the boat. But, you know, those concepts of 
making a sailboat go um, are are beginning to be lost in right. uh, you know in our current society. Right. I think. Right. right. Um, now with the boat, you know, there's freshwater boats and blue water boats. I'm assuming this was built for ocean going uh, originally. Yeah, uh, Alden's office was in Boston. Okay. Um, and you know, I think all these guys knew each other as you start reading these histories, the Hirschhoffs, you know, they're all from this uh, captains of industry um, age period where um, the one-upsmanship of having a faster sailboat was, you know, might be akin to people with automobiles, you know, in, in the next century, um, whether you had Ferraris or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're a Grand Prix guy or a NASCAR guy, I mean, that, so that's today, but... In 1888 and prior to that, I mean, you had a, if you had a schooner, right? You you got like a sports car, right? Right. And uh, then then you're looking for these talented mathematical architects to design a boat that beats your buddy's boat, and um, and the these places in Providence and Boston, where the economy was you know flourishing early on, 1600, you you had these captains of industry that were going to these talented people saying, build me this, right? build me this. Right. And they would actually, ra- I think that was one of the schooner's last heydays was, you know, the Hirschhoffs wanted their schooner to beat the steamboat and okay. and could do it. You know, I mean, that was their, that was some of their, their uh, goals, I think, is to keep the, keep the sailboat tradition going by competing with the new technology. Now, now with uh, with your boat, you do the the sales for you know, like you mentioned, the group events and whatnot. Do you ever do, or if anybody's interested, um, other sailing schools, or do you do you give give sailing lessons, or is it more if you want to book, you learn just by being on it, or yeah, I mean, I, I when I. When I was confused about uh, halyards and right. reef ties and, you know, all this language, anything you get into has got this language, and you're like, is this for real? I mean, it's just a, it's a boat. But I did take American Sailing Association classes because, uh, you know, you just get fascinated with the stuff. And it takes time. It isn't like you can teach sailing in, you know, in an afternoon. In an afternoon no, absolutely because not. as as part of our outdoor uh, enjoyment that we're talking about, every day is different. So, the you know when you you have to be learn to be smart enough not to go sailing on on, on a day when the wind's you know going to be unmanageable. Um, and I think it's it takes time to learn all that stuff. So it, it's there there we don't do sailing lessons here per se. But I, I have answered that question um, okay. a thousand times, and I often thought it would be a good place to learn sailing. I know there's been people that ta- taught it in Ithaca, um, but I think it it should be a multiple phase thing where you do it uh, through a whole summer. Yeah, and you, and you probably wouldn't learn on a fifty foot boat to start. Probably like a a smaller sunfish or something yeah. like that to get the concept done. Right. I think you... as a as a youth, um, that's a great boat to start mm-hmm. on because you can be less fearful of the complications of tipping over. Right. You tip over, you know, you're not afraid of the water. You go to the centerboard, you stand on the centerboard, you upright the thing. When it gets upright, you back on, you grab the lines, and you, and you start sailing again. Um, I think if somebody wants to learn how to sail, they should go to the coast. Um 
It's not necessary. I mean, sailing, sailing, and a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But, but I always have this fascination of traveling on the boat. I, I always, you can't, you know, if you have a bicycle, do you only ride to get a soda? No, you want to take a trip you right. know, down the down the canal trail. Right. So I'm always fascinated by, you know, like if I, if you get to the coast, um, it just opens a new door because you've got all this. When you're going down the Hudson River and you're competing with water taxis and coast guard boats and and barges with uh, push barges and pull barges and you know the whole the whole oh wow experience is just mm-hmm. magnified um, 10 times over when you get to to bigger to bigger water and there's and there's no greater I mean this is beautiful I'm not I'm not um, saying anything against uh, the beauty we have here in Seneca Lake, but it is um, a special experience to leave shore and mm-hmm. go out, you know, where you don't see land, um, or, or and you don't have to be far offshore, you know, four, five, six miles, and right. you don't have to be a rocket scientist, you know, if you turn right, you're going back to shore. If you turn left, <laughs> right. you're going to Europe. So um, it's I think I think that. Uh, that learning uh, sh- can be done in a number of ways. Uh, the the America's Boating Club used to be known as the uh, United States Power Squadron. There's a chapter all over the country. Wherever you live in the country, you're you're in you're nearby um, the America's Boating Club. They have piloting classes. They have safety classes. Um, they have celestial navigation classes. They have engine classes. So you can get into it, and that's one where. It, they meet like once a week or okay. once every week, and and um, and there's instructors that are boat enthusiasts that will take you through a class. I did it by going to Point Pleasant, New Jersey. There was a school of sailing. This is like 2003, tw- 20 years ago, um, and did uh, American Sailing Association 101, 102, and 103. They were called basic keel boat, where you learn you know the structure, like we're talking yep. about keels and top sides and gunnels. And then the 102 was basic coastal cruising, where now they taught you about the boat. Now they integrate the, the systems that we mentioned. They integrate, you got an engine, you got yeah. water, you got plumbing, you got yeah. electrical. And then 103 was bare boat chartering, where that's supposed to put you to the point where if when you finish that third course, you're supposed to be qualified to go down to the Caribbean and bare boat, you know, okay. and sail around St. Thomas and St. John and Jos Van Dyke and, and those places, which... Which I've been lucky enough to do, and it's it's those places are very close. I mean, you're not really on the ocean. You're on the you're on the you're ocean, island hopping. but yeah, you're just going for island. They're close by, and the wind is blowing constantly there because yeah. of the equatorial trades. So you always got wind, but you always got protected places to anchor. And if you did those three classes, um, chances are you'll survive. Right, right. <laughs> What's the furthest that you've personally sailed, uh, uh, either this boat or or a boat in general you mentioned st thomas back to yeah yeah the, the st thomas ride on this boat for the navones with four other uh people and i was just a i was a crew guy it was a captain from uh key west so that was that was uh it turned into 17 days there's okay. another story that we probably won't go into today but um there was a, a strong northeaster during that trip and we actually wound up in cuba okay and, Before uh, they opened the doors to yeah, uh, it was, the Americans, it, it was uh, it was I think it was just the be- uh, in the Barack Obama era, and so uh, I mean it would all it all worked fine. I have nothing. Um, our personal experience with the Cuban army and Cuban pe- people were uh, was was all good. 
um, it was stormy and, uh, you know, we couldn't keep going. And uh, we, we wound up hanging out in a, in a, in a non-public area. And that's where Cuban Army came and directed us into a, uh, into a lagoon in uh, Nuvitas in the okay. province of Camagüey. But uh, anyway, so that's why it turned into 17, because a a boat that you can keep going at five or six knots for 24 hours, you you should go 120 to 150 miles in a 24-hour period. And on the ocean, you know, you don't stop. That's where you, you, whatever, whenever you do an ocean trip, if you're, if you're just solo um, or a couple, you know, you, you, uh, you, solo guys are special guys. I mean, they're like mountain climbers or, you know, they just, uh, they live a unusual life by themselves on the sea. Lots of great books about them. So beyond that, when there's a unit of people on the on an ocean trip, you arrange sleeping times. Yep. So the boat goes 24 hours a day. So that was, I think, 1,100 miles, St. Thomas back to uh, the Florida Keys. Um, another trip I did with on a different boat was from um, Ensenada, Mexico, to Cabo San Lucas. I think that was about 800 miles. Okay. But my wife and I, you know, we, we would sh- jump down the coast. It's all about the weather. Sometimes, you know, that's where on a boat you should have, you know, you should have unlimited free time and maybe unlimited finances. <laughs> um, you can sail for cheap, but you better be ready for the next big problem, you know. My, my, not to cut you off, but my favorite quote, as my brother said, is sailing is the most expensive way to get somewhere for free yes yes (laughs) yes doug hazlitt says that about boats the only boat more the only the only boat more expensive than a cheap boat is a free boat (laughs) that is true my first boat was free and it was far from that Um, yes so i mean you can uh you can go out to new york harbor and if you're willing to spend uh, one night, you know, on the ocean, uh, you'll be at Cape May. It's 130 miles down the Jersey Shore. Um, you can go up the Delaware River, and that's uh, 64 miles up the Delaware. You go through in the C&D Canal. Then the Chesapeake offers all kinds of opportunities yeah. to stop. Um, but then if you get through the intercoastal uh, on the inside of the Outer Banks, uh, from Beaufort, North Carolina to Charleston, that's only a that's only a, a one night event, from Charleston to St. Simon or even Fernandina. If you if you if you're making good time, that's only a one night event. So you can get all the way to Florida without spending a lot of time. You know, without just as long as you're willing to do a day and a night and a day, right? You can get down there right. without without a lot of fanfare. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, Terry, I could talk with you for days, <laughs> being a fellow sailor and whatnot, but. Um, how do people, how would people get a hold of you? Number one, to, uh, to learn more about true love and to, and to, uh, book some time aboard it. Well, well, I think, um, I think the most, uh, easy way to, to learn about th- some of the things we've talked about with the history of this boat is go to, uh, sailtruelove.com and, uh, the website will come up and my phone numbers, um, on the website. Uh, it's uh, 607-535-5253. That's what I call the schooner phone. And I do get a lot of questions about what if the weather, yeah. you know, and, and, and um, things like that. So we, I mean, the weather, of course, as we've been stating, is, uh, is something to avoid. Luckily, um, because this boat is 44,000 total pounds, um, it's kind of um, the, the grandpa on Seneca Lake. It can go 
Um, 99% of the time we have, don't have any, you know, okay. there's been a couple times where it's, a, it's just not, it's too windy and it's not a good idea to go. But gen, that's, that's a very rare exception. Of course, the rain is what people ask about most. We, we try to avoid a rainy days, you know, where we're looking at a hundred percent chance, 80% chance mm-hmm. the, because the weather apps are, are pretty successful you can look at what's going to happen in the next two hours and know whether we should do it or not if we decide if the captain decides that um it's not the time to go um everybody gets total refund okay we encourage people to go the next one or the next time or you know like that but but if the boat doesn't sail you know you certainly get everything you spent on your boat ride reimbursed to you and um it, we 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 a lot of times you know the crowd that comes are outdoor people they booked it because they're outdoor people and yeah. it's not uncommon for people to encourage the crew and captain to, let's go we don't yeah. care about the rain we have rain ponchos but um uh you know that's not that's not the masses but you it's, we, we oftentimes get a shower and we don't cancel because we might get a shower. We'd never go if we did that. So, yeah. So you know, if we're just going to get a light rain or it might skirt by us or if we sail over towards the Painted Rocks, it's going to miss us that way. Or, you know, if we might have to abbreviate it by 20 minutes or so, you know, because we want to get back before, or you know, you start hearing thunder or lightning, mm-hmm. you, you know, you make your way back. But we, I think out of the 100% of the rides we do, uh, you know, total possible rides, we do about 80, 83%. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty good, considering we are at the mercy of the weather. But um, I've been on Seneca Lake my whole life, and a lot of times, and this is a big lake if you're not familiar with it, um, Long Lake. Um, If there are storms, chances are they stay north of us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do know know that the hillsides change the behavior of the weather quite a bit. Um, You know, our predominant winds are are northwest and, and anything out of the south. We, if we do get a west wind, it's it's not it's rarer to get a, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a you know a straight west wind, and if we do, it's always kind of a squirrely wind. It's always yeah. you know it's always gusty um, up and down anything from you know five knots to twenty five knots all in the same all in the same tack. And what is your season that you uh, start bookings, and when do you typically stop? Um, as you know, end your season. Yeah, Memorial Day to Labor Day. Okay. Now we're we're adding some uh, a week of uh, sunset cruises uh, starting May nineteenth uh, to the twenty fifth, and then the, I think the twenty sixth is the Friday of Memorial Day. So we'll start our doing our three rides a day on okay. uh, on that, and we go all the way to Columbus Day. But last fall was such a spectacular weather. I just we decided, hey, let's schedule in case we get another great fall. Let's schedule just a sunset ride right up till October twenty second. Okay, that's so, a great idea because th- this is a beautiful lake and with the foliage, yeah. you know. Yeah, so go to go to the website, read about the boat. If you feel like booking, you can book right online. Or if you have questions that we didn't cover today, call the call the the five three five lake number five three five fifty two fifty three. If I don't get it, I'll get back to you because I don't I don't carry that phone around all day now. But when we get going, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And also to our listeners, check the show notes. I'm going to have all the links to everything easy to to get. And um, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to at least go to the website, learn more about this beautiful boat, and uh, find a way to schedule some time to to meet Terry and his crew. 
And, um, you know, before we wrap up, do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, well, um, it just occurred to me as you were starting to wrap up that, uh, you know, here I've dominated this uh, one-on-one conversation, but this doesn't happen without those people that you were meeting. Yeah. Um, Bill Holgate lives at Glenora's, lived on the lake all his life, um, was uh, sold marine products for a good portion of his career, uh, has been a boat captain in a variety of places. You know, he's on a roster. Of, you know, he'll get calls from New England boat, and, you know, he'll he'll do, run people around in various um, ocean environments. So, I mean, you know, I'm privileged to, to be able to participate you know, as the owner, but I mean, that's just the title. It doesn't mean, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, it would be very, I would assume it'd be hard to single handle this boat. Um, yeah. And, you know, you, you need you need the crew. And if you've never been on a sailboat, especially an older one, you know, this one's coming up at 100 years old, uh, the amount of maintenance and upkeep um, that is required, you know, with all the teak and, um varnishing <laughs> especially the boat this size once you get to one end and end at the other start back at the beginning <laughs> so, well uh, there's some talented folks around um beyond bill we have uh ronnie delapo and bob hansen you know they're local residents and uh you know they just they kind of know how to do stuff yeah you know and uh i mean without those without those helping hands like probably in any boatyard any place in the world you know you need talent and uh and if we got to bend planks or, you know, you got to put in these Dutchman's because there's little portions that rot out, you know, yeah. and you got to grind them out and put in a piece of wood and uh, fare it in and keep the boat healthy. I mean, it's kind of like going to the dermatologist, I guess, you know, sometimes. <laughs> it's a you good know, way to put it. You know, yeah. hip replacement and joint replacement. I mean, a lot of this boat is is not original, you know, just because of 100 years. Yeah. I'm sure there's original pieces, but... Every time you know something big happens and you got to reconfigure it, right? It's a little bit of a change, but basically, what we pro, what we, my goal is, um, is to do this for four more years and get it to its hundredth year anniversary, so we can say that you know the boat's a hundred yeah. years old. And I think if I can achieve that with um, with the talented help that I'm referring to, um, then I, I will have hit the goal and. We'll see who wants to take it awesome. beyond. Who wants to take awesome. it beyond that? <laughs> well, that's a great goal, though. So, well, yeah. Terry, I really appreciate you and your time and uh, the opportunity to to sit aboard this boat. And and, and this will not be the last time that we we talk. Well, and uh, uh, I will be booking something here shortly as well. Well, so. thank you, Eric. I appreciate the opportunity. I hope the listeners um, found some uh, excitement. In, yeah, uh, in, absolutely. In, in, I think they will. I think they will. So. All right, my friend. Well, I appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you.